Are you a woman who has struggled with the secret shame that goes with viewing pornography and other sexual sin? Are you tired of fighting the same battle and making the same promises to the Lord only to continue to find yourself committing the same sexual sins over and over? My name is Kim and I have good news for you. No matter how long you've struggled, there is hope for you. You can be free to experience the abundant life Jesus came to give you. I struggled in the darkness of sexual addiction for 23 years and now walk in freedom. I wrote 40 Days of Purity for Women with you in mind. If you are ready to take a step of faith, this course, I believe, could be your catapult to the purity your heart longs for. To register for the 40 Days of Purity for Women course, go to purelifeacademy.org and click on the Women link. That's purelifeacademy.org. Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Today's guest is Ashley Jamison, the Associate Director of Women's Groups at Pure Desire, and she has a powerful story and message related to racism and sexual brokenness. How much is one's identity shaped by racism and or sexual brokenness? What kinds of wounds and trauma from racism exist that can then affect sexual brokenness? Ashley shares her story of how all these elements intersected in her life and how much more prevalent they are than we imagine. She also shares a message of hope and good news for those who want to heal and anyone who wants to help break unhealthy generational patterns. To learn more about Ashley and her work, visit puredesire.org. For more resources, visit bebroken.org or check out links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after listening to help others find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries, and Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now, let's dive into today's conversation with Ashley. Well, all right, Ashley Jamison, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm so excited that we got to have you as a guest here. Um, we had a brief uh, connection at the Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit back in uh, April of this year. And it was so good to uh, see you there and the whole Pure Desire team. And so why don't you let our listeners know uh, a little bit about the work that you do with Pure Desire and maybe even a little bit about the ministry. Yeah, so I am the Associate Director of Women's Groups at Pure Desire, um, which means I help churches, organizations, individuals, Anybody basically who wants to start a group or be part of a group uh, just needs help with some next steps. I I work with them and get them going. So we have all kinds of resources. We have um, a sexual integrity video course that's just the foundation of what we do and and foundation to what sexual health looks like and what it takes to get there. Um, we're biblically based and scientifically informed, so we we couple those things together to show Christians how the way God designed our body lines up with some science and we can use those things together to get ourselves out of these ruts. Um, We offer online groups for people who um, either have experienced betrayal, male or female, from a spouse who struggles sexually or with pornography. We also have groups for the person who struggles with love, sex, relationship, pornography, um, anything that would cause them to want to address those behaviors and strive for sexual health. So we offer both for men and women online. Um, And then again, we partner with churches to run their own groups. We have a pretty big clinical team. Um, So we do a lot of online counseling for couples, which is unique because couples will be 
paired with a male and female clinician. Um, and they'll be working with both of them simultaneously. We do conferences, um, and, you know, put out books, kind of just do a little bit of everything. Uh, we just, we really want to help people who have been impacted by sexual brokenness. Yeah. Now at the, uh, at the leadership summit, um, you did a, one of the breakout sessions and you were dealing with this topic of racism and sexual brokenness. And that's, that's really the reason I wanted to have you on to the program is I, I believe there, mm-hmm. um, there certainly need to be more voices in this space, but I think yours is a powerful voice to bring to this. And so by way of introduction to that big topic, could you share with our audience just some of your story, your own story and your own journey as it pertains to this kind of intersection of racism and sexual brokenness? Yeah. Um, so I have been with Pure Desire for six and a half years on staff and I was brought in because I, I, I found Pure Desire because my husband had an addiction. And so I came in on the betrayal side. I quickly realized that that addict material pertained to me. And I'm thinking, I'm the one hurt here. Why does this pertain to me? And so I started really digging into my own past and that's what helped kind of launch some of our newer resources. Um, and I looked back at my history and really started looking at how did I get here? How do I keep ending up with addicts, two addict husbands? How do I, how did I end up with an eating disorder and sexual acting out and all of this crazy behavior when I've loved the Lord with my whole heart as much as I could since I was a little kid. Um, and on the surface, I looked like it had it all together, but I had all these issues that I had either struggled with in the past or were currently struggling with. And so when I look back at at my life, um, I realized it started at a really young age and how I learned how to attach to people and how I saw myself and my identity was really shattered and, and corroded by the world and the people around me. I grew up in a community that was, um, white and was only one of the only black girls in my community. Um, and so I was teased a lot, you know, Mm. called all the names, um, told, you know, by some of the popular kids that they wanted to hang me from their family tree and just really horrible stuff. Mm. Boys would throw things at me like a ball with a swastika on it. And so I learned at a young age to just blend in as much as I could play nice people, please. I didn't want to do anything to ripple the waters, so to speak, um, straighten my hair, try to look as white as I can cover up in sunscreen. So I don't get any darker. Um, and it really just, it really just hindered my ability to feel confident in myself and who God created me to be. And then on top of that, my mom had a really traumatic past. Um, you know, she's 74 now. So she really went through it being a full, black, dark lady, um, in some hard times. And so she didn't want me to have that same experience. And so from home I would hear, um, don't look so black. Uh, Mm. don't wear your hair so black. Don't act so black, marry a white person. So your life will be easier and your kids will be lighter. These are the things I'd hear from my family side. And then from the school side, from the white people, I'm hearing it's bad to be black. It's bad to be black. And, and so I just really felt lost. So then even at the age of 15, I ended up getting raped as a virgin, um, Mm. by an older white guy, um, not like old, old, but older than me, five years older than me. Um, and it caused this conflict in me of like, oh, I'm never going to be good enough for a Christian husband now, because I hear at church, if you have sex before marriage, you've lost your purity Mm. and I'm never going to be able to have that. And so right then I lowered my standard of what kind of guy I would even be able to have as a, 
as a Christian woman. Um, and then at the same time, I finally felt pursued and beautiful by somebody, even though it was in the form of rape. And so it really confused me as a teenager. And I would go back and forth between church and partying because at church, I loved what I was experiencing and feeling on fire for Jesus and doing what I felt called to do and leading little kids and teaching. And then in the world, I felt like, well, this is who I really am. And they know who I really am. I had secrets in church. Um, which made me feel like I couldn't be there very long. And so I ended up getting pregnant my senior year with twin boys and marrying their dad, even though that was toxic, because again, I'm like, well, I'm never going to have a Christian husband uh, Mm. because I'm not pure, so I should marry their dad. And that was a very hard relationship. Um, And then ended up divorcing their dad and, you know, finding my new husband who is a Christian. And I thought, oh, this is my second chance, you know? Um, And so it just, that's being married to him and then discovering his pornography addiction led me to Pure Desire. And then once I started working at Pure Desire, that's where so much of my past started really making sense to me of how much shame I was carrying. The more I dug in, the more I spoke to people, the more I processed my own story, I realized there's a whole avenue of women and men who, yes, were sexually broken or were pursuing love and relationships in a very unhealthy way. But a lot of it is our story and what was either put on us or the trauma we're feeling. And so I just have this heart to 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 share a little piece of what mm-hmm. maybe the Black community goes through, that it is an, it's another level of complex chronic trauma that just keeps happening and keeps getting aggravated, um, at least in my life. And it does contribute to the way we act in relationships. And if we don't have space and grace to be able to talk about those things, especially in a church, um, without it creating anger in somebody or, um, you know, a heated political discussion, then, then we're going to stay stuck in our brokenness because we can't. We know how important it is to process our story and our pain in order to find healing in relationships and sexual brokenness. Wow! Thank you so much for sharing that. I just, uh, I, uh, my heart is just torn for the little girl you, because I think you know that's not the, that's not the weight that a little girl should ever have to carry. Because it's not, I mean, in many ways, you carried twice the weight that your uh, white friends did, right? And so I'm curious, I'm curious, what kind of response have you gotten from, um, from, from others in both the black and white community when you do share your story? Mm -hmm. This can be, um, well, one, the black community, which my, I have a really large black family, um, it's, people are shocked that, that we're still experiencing this. And, mm. and I speak, I, I want to speak out for black people who are feeling what I feel, but I don't want to speak out for everybody and say that this is everybody's experience. Because right. if you talk to some of my black family in the East side or the South side of the country, they may have a different experience because they grew up in a black community. So they may have not experienced as much racism or even connected it to the way they act sexually. Um, it's going to look different for me who grew up in Eastern Washington and now in Idaho. So, um, but overall, the more and more I talk to people, it's just like it was when I started talking about my sexual struggles and my, and, and my betrayal experience, 
people have not been talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so the more and more I talked about it the last couple of years, the more I hear, well, I'm so glad that you, you know, that you're talking about it now because that happened to me and I never told anybody. And I always thought I was dirty and I always thought I was less than. And so it's like, we're just starting sometimes to feel free enough to talk about it. Um, Unfortunately, some of my white side of my family has really um, struggled with it because of the political tensions that are going on in these last couple of years. And and you're either on this side of the fence or this side. There's no there's no room to say I I I relate with a lot of this, but I can I can also understand this. There's there's none of that happening. Um, and so even some of my white friends and family have said, you know. You, people just need to get over it. The past is the past. And and then I'm trying to be a voice of reason saying my daughter is 12 and is still experiencing racism all the way up to last week when she was told her skin looks like poop and she was ugly, you know, mm. and I'm like, I, you know, so I, I, it's people just don't believe that it's happening on the level that it is still happening. Yeah. And that's why I really appreciate what you're saying and what you said a little bit earlier about the need for us to be able to share our stories and that those stories are personal and unique. And mm-hmm. I think I think that needs to be um, heard because I think you're right. We can so we can kind of just lump everybody into a single category. Like, you know what? I even just mis- misspoke three minutes ago when I said black community, white community. Almost as if to say everybody in the white community is the same and everybody in the black community is the same. That's not true. Right. So I love the fact that you're saying that our stories are personal, our stories are unique, but also our stories need to be heard. As we think about this, uh, one of the things that made me uh, that I thought about in terms of this idea of racism and sexual brokenness is I, you know, we talk about sexual brokenness. We put that word brokenness with it. Right. The idea that there is something with our sexuality and our Sometimes even our bodies, there's a brokenness there. Our thoughts about how we think about sex and God's design and all that, there's a brokenness there. But racism is a brokenness too, right? There's a brokenness Mm -hmm. there around how we view one another and our identities and those kind of things. Can you talk about where you see some similarities in these brokenness, you know, the the racism and the sexual brokenness, and maybe where you see some distinctions uh, among that? Yeah. So similarities, when I was really thinking about this, um, when we have, we, we in this community of leaders who are fighting for sexual health for people and, and offering hope, we understand that the family unit is so important to how we behave and how we act. And so when I was doing research on this and even just looking at my own family history, the numbers are so staggering on Dad's missing out of the home with black families. Dad's being incarcerated at a higher rate with black families. Um, young black kids being arrested at a higher percentage for prostitution. When we're when we're we're not the majority of the race in this country, mm-hmm. you know, but but we're the highest uh, race to be, you know, experiencing these things, broken homes, and so I think at the core that plays a part. The family unit which God created to be so strong and to have this, you know, symbiotic um, effect on kids that we, 
we we have this family unit for a reason. We have a nurturer. We have a somebody who teaches us how to provide and how to fight and protect our family. And when that's shattered, which I feel like is Satan's game mm-hmm. to shatter the home, it causes the kids to grasp for relationship, acceptance, and love. And I see that same thing in sexual brokenness. That when 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 one of the parents is struggling and it causes that parent to withdraw, act out in anger, abandon the family, the same effect is happening. The kids are saying, what's wrong with my family? Why wasn't I worth it for my dad to stay? Um, why is dad angry all the time? Why is mom angry all the time? Why is she lashing out? And so if the, if the family unit can be broken, it's going to cause problems that are generational mm. um, because yeah. these kids are growing up without that healthy structure. What are some of the uniquenesses or differences that you see as it pertains to racism and sexual brokenness? Uh, One of the main differences, and like I said, everybody's story is unique, but I think one thing that is common to all of the black community is that this has been a historical, you know, generational black people only really problem that this has been this huge systemic problem that's caused chronic trauma. And whether you meet some people that say, oh, I'm not affected by that or, or whatnot, it still affects a whole people group. Mm-hmm. And I think that is unique because sexual sin has entered into everybody circle in the United States. But what the black race has gone through in the United States and, and still to some degrees varying now is unique to the black yeah. race. And so um, if we don't allow, if we don't allow room to feel uncomfortable and let our black men and women come forward and, and be able to process these things and wrestle these things and maybe even feel angry or betrayed or whatever it is they're feeling, then, then I truly believe that we can't get to the wholeness of who they are um, supposed to be in, in healthy sexuality, because mm-hmm. we know that to live sexually healthy, we have to understand our story. We have to understand our pain. We have to understand our traumas, understand why we do what we do. And we have to allow people to have room to talk about that. And, and I've seen in some Bible study circles or small group studies, it's like, okay, we're only here to do the study, which I get. Cause my group's a little bit run like that. Um, but you're not allowed to bring out in outside resources. We're not allowed to talk about anything political. And so then when you have somebody like me, who's experience with racism is directly tied with how I act in relationships. Um, and I'm not allowed to talk about anything racial or maybe something happened and it's triggered me and I'm feeling insecure or I'm in trauma, you know, then we hinder the healing a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, one of the things you, as I, as you were saying that I was thinking about, you know, one of the things I've, I've learned being in this space of ministry for, for many years, almost 20 years now is um, as we've had many, you know, black men that have come through our Gateway to Freedom workshop, it was it was so eye opening to me because I realized, you know what, in my own story of recovery, I had not that my sexual addiction was my only issue, but that was my singular focus when I got into recovery. I didn't have an additional burden of racism that was part of my own story. So there's a huge uh, I think ignorance gap for a guy like me, you know, a white male in America. Mm -hmm. Can you help us 
close that gap? Where do you see the need for more education? What are the what are the key things that you would say, hey, this would really help to start closing that gap of ignorance where we can actually come together and have uh, productive conversations. We can actually have healing conversations. There can actually maybe be real reconciliation between these separate groups. I think around one this of the, issue of sexual brokenness, you know? Yes. Yeah, completely. Um, I think one of the biggest things we can do is exactly what you're doing right now and exactly what Daniel did inviting me to speak at the Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit. When white people or people who, I know this is a trigger word, may have have privilege, you know, of their history and their upbringing and education or whatever it may be, um, anybody, you know, regardless of what issue we're talking about, anybody who seemingly in the more privileged state, if they can be the ones to start opening the doors and and being kind of an advocate, that's huge. I mean, it, it makes a huge impact than, you know, me going around saying, hey, I want to talk to you about racism and sexual brokenness and what I've experienced. But when when you have somebody who's already in a position of leadership and influence, who maybe that's not part of their story, and they, you know, bring in a guest to share a testimony and share some work that God's done through their life and their story and experience, it's just that storytelling is so powerful. And we see that in the sexual integrity, you know, circle that we run in, that when you allow somebody to come be vulnerable and share their story, especially from a position of leadership or a pulpit or a platform, that people say, okay, if that person can be brave and talk about it, then I can too. And I can't tell you how many times I've been at a conference and I've just sprinkled in a little before things got really hot a couple of years ago, sprinkled in a little something about my experience with racism growing up. And I would have elderly black men come up to me and say, I so appreciate somebody in a Christian organization saying something about racism and how it affected them. And I just was so touched. It actually encouraged me to want to be brave and continue to have that be part of my story and my testimony out loud, you know, because I'm seeing it impact people who say we don't hear enough of this, especially from Christian organizations, especially from predominantly white organizations. Mm -hmm. And so um, just allowing space, um, you know, there's great <clears throat> there's great resources out there for small groups um, like Be the Bridge and Latasha Morrison's group um, organization. Um, but storytelling, testimonies, podcasts, um, and then just teaching our leaders that people that we maybe train up or have influence over that we want them to cultivate environments where people can talk about their racial experiences without shutting it down and, and teach them how to navigate that too. If it starts feeling tense, um, it would be like anything else in our sexual groups that causes a trigger. You may have a woman in there and another woman says, I am I am the affair partner while another one's processing her betrayal. We as leaders need to be trained how to handle that, but we don't shut either one down because they both have their experience and they both have their story. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I want to ask you to, to maybe kind of speak to two separate people here. Um, one is the person out there that shares your experience to some degree. So a black man or woman that is trying to process their own history of sexual brokenness in in the context of the reality that they've also faced racism and all of that. 
what would you want to say to that person to give them a sense of hope and courage to step deeper into that healing journey? Yeah, for that person, um, I would say, you know, with, with what we do in sexual health, the numbers are really lopsided. We walk through a predominantly black community and we enter the event center that we're doing a conference and it's a sea of white faces with a couple sprinkled, you know, minority faces. Um, and I would say that our stories do not have to be wasted. Revelation 12, 11, that we overcome by the mm-hmm. word of our testimony and the blood of lamb. We have what Christ has done for us on the cross. And our testimonies are so powerful for breaking strongholds, not only for us, but our kids, but for the people out there that need to hear it. And sometimes just simply being vulnerable and honest in your story and sharing it, um, starting a group, whatever it may be, whatever you're feeling called to do, but using something that's unique to you that feels maybe shameful or scary or, or whatever it may be, I would just say, continue to fight for reconciliation and for more understanding. Because the more we step out and share our story, the more it's going to offer a hand up for somebody else who needed to hear our story. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't think there's anything more powerful than continuing to share your story and how you found hope and freedom. Because people need to hear that they're not alone. Yeah. And then what would you say to the white man or woman out there uh, that is either just ignorant or blind to this reality um, of racism and sexual brokenness? And I'm not necessarily talking, uh, I'm going to delineate between the white man or woman that is just ignorant or blind and the person that's just combative or they are just uh, in the Mm -hmm. stronghold of racism. You know what I mean? I'm talking to the person that's open. What would you want to say to them? Because to be honest with you, in, in, in my sphere within the church and even within my community, I believe that's the vast majority of the white men and women that I know. There's just an mm-hmm. ignorance or a blindness to the realities that, that we're talking about here. So what would you want to say to them to help them cross that bridge and be more either involved or more open to what this reconciliation and healing can look like? Yeah. I mean, I I think the best way that you can do that is to start. I mean, you're not going to go on, you know, interracialfriends.com, but start trying to allow your <clears throat> start trying to allow yourself to have different people in your circle. Because one thing I hear so often is um, oh, we brought that person on as a volunteer. We hired that person because they really just clicked. We all we all just click together. There's a chemistry. Sometimes it's nice if that person is still a believer and loves the Lord and fits with the values of the organization that you don't click exactly because it stretches you to think outside of your norm. And so just by me being the only woman on the executive team at Pure Desire, I'm automatically going to have a different perspective on 50% of the issues, if not more, than than the guys on the team. I'm going to mm-hmm. go, oh, because I think differently. And so, you know, you tend to want to gather with people who think and talk and walk and look and smell and act like you. Um, but I would strongly suggest, you know, diversifying yourself if you can. Um, listen to different stories. I think listening to different testimonies of people, and I'm not talking about things that want to get into like huge political 
you know, topics, but just real people, real story, real experiences, because my, my girlfriends who have known me since childhood, when I let them know that I wanted to move to Georgia, cause that's, you know, I have family down there and they're like, oh, you wouldn't fit in with, in Georgia. And it's like, like, wait, I live in an area where there's only 2% black people and I have nobody around me except for my own family who's black. Um, how do, how do you, how do you get to the point of me not fitting in, in Georgia? And I hear this all the time mm. from anybody that I hear, you know, anybody that finds out that I have a desire to move South, they're like, you won't fit in. And I, and I think that's very interesting because I, I am usually the only black person at a church on a Sunday, the only black person in Safeway at the time of day, you know, like I'm the only black person around. So it's just, um, when I explain to them, when I explain, um, you know, imagine yourself, you walk into the grocery store, you're the only white person in the whole grocery store. You go to the DMV, you're the only white person. You go to the hospital, your doctor, your nurses, the staff, every patient besides you is black. You are the only white person. Imagine what kind of world that is and what that would do to your perspective of how you're seen. Um, that's the world I live in. That's the world my daughter lives in. And so just having more conversations, I think opens understandings. Um, and it doesn't have to be a fight, just be yeah. a good human and ask people about their experience and their stories. Yeah. And I think this kind of brings us full circle then back to being able to see, because uh, we've talked in one sense, sort of, sort of globally, like in these people groups and the idea of racism and sexual brokenness. But this kind of brings us back to full circle to say, you're, what I'm hearing you say is we need to remember that we're seeing each person as an individual person made in the image of God. Therefore, there's a unique story, but there's also meaning there's a unique value and dignity to each one of those people. Um, as we kind of wrap up our time together here in the last few minutes, um, just Anything else that you would want to share on this topic that you feel like our audience needs to hear? And then what are some resources that you would point us to in terms of being able to kind of uh, continue on this journey of healing in this respect? Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest thing I can say to encourage listeners is if you are somebody who has a story, start sharing it. Mm -hmm. Just if you feel like there's an opportunity, I wouldn't let fear hold you back. If you're somebody who maybe doesn't have this experience and you want to learn more, um, ask questions and do, you know, do your own research and, and just be an open door to listening to people because you can really sense when somebody is on the defense with you as soon as you bring anything up that has to do with racism, or if there's somebody who's open and invites conversation, like, tell me more about that experience. I'm really curious to hear what you went through. There's an openness to it versus, well, you know, there's always two sides to the story or, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, these comments. And so think about how you're feeling. And if you are feeling triggered, ask yourself, why am I feeling triggered? Why am I feeling defensive as um, as a white person who's never experienced racism, what is it in me that's causing me to feel upset or defensive about this topic? Um, and then same on the other side. So just engaging in relationships and being willing to learn, I think those little baby steps are going to open up some doors because people are hungry just to feel heard and feel connected and to feel understood. It, we don't have to have all the answers. We just need to be a good friend, a good listener. Um, 
And then one of my one of my favorite resources I've already referenced it is um, Latasha Morrison's "Be the Bridge." There's a book. Um, she has teachings, um, podcasts. You know, the book you can use as a small group study. Um, white and black people can do it in the church together and just start creating these conversations um, in your community or in your church. And then, of course, if people want to learn more about Pure Desire, they can just go to puredesire.org. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes, they can definitely go to puredesire.org. Um, and with our materials, um, you know, we we get to the bottom of any kind of pain and trauma. So whether it's racism or abuse or whatever drove you to, to the place you are now, um, you know, all are welcome to come and process that. Yeah. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for your time and for your willingness to share your story and to, to be brave um, in doing that, uh, because that I, I can only imagine that that takes an amount of courage that is yeah. um, uh, that would be unfamiliar to me. And so I want to thank you for that. And thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for creating this space for me to have this conversation with you today. Yeah. Well, listeners, we're going to put those resources for Pure Desire and Be the Bridge. We're going to put all that in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And uh, as Ashley said before, if you are needing to kind of cross that line of sharing your story, we'd love for you to reach out to us. We want to be able to hear your story, help you take your next best step in uh, pursuing a life of integrity and wholeness. So please reach out to us and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.